Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, listeners. From home or on the road? Cat's favorite story. You are listening to Cat the Story, the podcast where in each episode we bring you great stories told by dear storytellers. I'm your host, Lucia Matuonto, and it's time to Cat the Story. Today, our first storyteller is Robert New. Robert is an individual of many talents. Holding degrees in psychology, sociology, biology, and education, all of which greatly inspire his writing. Get ready to immerse yourself in his narrative, Confessions of a Psychic. I could not take my eyes off the just-past middle-aged man in the front row. He was mesmerizing, and that was meant to have been my role this evening. In about 20 minutes, I'm due to bound on stage and talk to dead people. It was all a scam, of course. There's no such thing as spirits or psychic phenomena. What I do is read people, and it starts before the show. My usual shtick is to try and overhear a few conversations by sitting in the front row, then make it seem like I need the toilet and quietly walk out. My stage manager then comes in wearing similar clothes to me and takes my spot. I do a quick change and hop on stage. No one has ever called me out on it yet, even though... She is a different gender. Annoyingly, I'm prevented from doing this now as this man is sitting in my seat. How had he gotten in so early? He was so early, he'd fallen asleep. I was jealous. I had been so jittery today. I couldn't imagine resting my eyes now. Oh well. I placated myself with the thought that I could stand in front of the gentleman and take some time getting a really good read to impress him and the audience later. I wondered if the man knew about the effects of smoking on appearance. I've looked at countless photos of twins where only one was a smoker. They made it clear that those who smoked had a slightly different pallor and tightening of the skin in certain places. The man's head was turned to the side, but I could tell he'd been a smoker for much of his life. I couldn't smell smoke on him, nor did his fingernails show any staining. Maybe he'd given it up. He must have done it 10 to 20 years ago. It certainly didn't look like he was smoking now. But the telltale signs he once had were there. Something about the way the skin cracked around the eye I had a good view of, and the slightly drawn nature of his face. Not to mention the way his wrists seemed to crease around the tendon. I've noticed similar things about myself, even though I quit in my 30s. 
The man's collar revealed even more. The shirt was white, ironed and clean, but the collar had wear marks where it had rubbed against his neck. The marks extended quite far towards the front, which indicated the man was almost certainly used to wearing a tie. So a proper white-collar worker then. He wasn't wearing a tie now, so it was likely he was here for entertainment. I would guess he wasn't a hardened disbeliever, but likely someone who wasn't expecting to be called upon. Those who wanted it usually dressed up a bit more because they hoped people would be looking at them. I could use that. Some statement about the spirit saying, you weren't expecting to be contacted tonight. Such words were gold, as it sounded personalised, but only had one expected answer. Few people really expected to be contacted. I do believe that in their heart of hearts, most knew it was some kind of trick. What kind of job would this ex-smoker, approaching retirement, white-collar worker have? He was wealthy enough to afford a front-row seat. I may not be at John Edwards' level, but I did sell out this 300-seat hall. The man didn't look like a real estate agent. Something about the pants he was wearing. They were what I'd call accountant grey. The man also looked a little bookish due to his rimless glasses. Yes, most likely an accountant. Or lawyer. If a lawyer, then not a barrister, some other branch of law, one that's more desk-based. The man's fingernails were neatly trimmed, as were his ear and nose hairs. That indicated pride in his appearance. I reconsidered the real estate agent idea. No, there was definitely something about the suit and polished black shoes that didn't match that. I associated real estate agents with brown shoes and dark blue suits. What about the hair? There was something revealing about it. It was quite thin. Not simply thinning, the strands themselves seemed thin. I didn't know what could cause that, but I've always associated it with a certain type of person. A person who had experienced a harder background. Impoverished wasn't the right word. Just someone who hadn't been fed a balanced diet as a kid. I have no factual basis for that opinion. It's just something I've come to believe after talking to people with hair like that. The man allowed the thinning of the hair to be viewed naturally, though it was brushed neatly and in a fashion which hid some of the slight hair loss. The fact that he hadn't shaved his head was revealing. There was still a decent amount of vanity there. I would have to tell him his departed friend always considered him too superficial. I would have to tell him that his departed friend always considered him too concerned with the superficial. Having this amount of time to observe someone was a luxury, which would have helped me early in my career. It was a lot tougher then, as I wasn't as quick with my reads. Early on, when trying to improve the act, I had once used an earpiece connected to my stage manager while performing. She'd fed me information from an internet search of the victim and from what she'd gleaned while sitting in the audience. But that hadn't worked very well. I couldn't prevent myself going silent while she spoke and had trouble distinguishing the voice in my ear from the one in front of me. The resultant pauses made it too obvious someone was giving me information. We quickly abandoned that. The next thing I tried was having a little monitor on the stage, enabling me to see little text messages from the stage manager, but again, that had also been unsatisfactory. The words didn't typically say enough, and I had to constantly duck back to the stage. You see, I like to perform from down on the floor amongst the audience. The monitor just took away from the performance, and I soon came to realise that such tricks diminished my art of cold reading. And it was my fundamental belief that it was an art form. I take it seriously and am still honing my craft despite being at it for over three decades. 
As such, it's not just from people's appearance that I get information. It's reading micro-expressions and understanding how a simple head tilt or glance in a particular direction could indicate something being recalled or made up or what type of emotional response was being had by the audience member. This reading was the main part of making them believe in the afterlife. Other tricks were not as effective. Back early in my career, I had once staged a seance in which I tried to make contact with the spirit of Houdini, a man who had famously tried and failed to make contact with his mother via spiritual mediums after her death. It hadn't worked well, and I was damn near exposed as a fraud. Since then, I've had a strict rule. Just me and my microphone on stage or walking through the aisles. After all, that was how I got the best responses. The biggest response I ever had was when, as part of my usual routine, I had a member of the audience begin the banter about who had passed or who they wanted to talk to. I started with the letter of a name, because that's pretty straightforward, and gauged a rough estimate of the man's age from carefully examining them. The letter I chose wasn't random. I studied the most popular names from each of the last eight decades. So when I get a hit on a letter, a quick read of the person means I can regularly guess the name thereafter. On this occasion, there was a 40-ish year old in the audience. He'd been looking wary, not like the usual disbeliever. As an aside, I actually liked disbelievers. They often did more for the audience response than a true believer, because they worked so hard to try and rein everything in, so when their unconscious twitches gave them away, they appeared genuinely surprised by the hit. On that night, the man had twitched when I said the letter K. I noticed, but didn't go to him straight away. Instead, I went around the room and got another hit with an old lady. But I had noticed the man's response. Those micro-expressions were my bread and butter. The old lady hadn't been very fruitful, but this was the secret genius of the act. When such a thing happened, I simply said the spirit of the person had left. Then, to the rest of the audience, I would say a new one was coming through. That night, I had asked, was there someone who had someone who passed with a name beginning with C? C. Was it Catherine? Kate? I'm getting a hard sort of sound at the start of it. I'm trying to bring them into focus. Definitely another K. That was the thing. People remembered the hits more than the misses. So long as I followed up a miss, or a couple of misses with a strong hit, verbally reinforced, people would come away with the impression I had really been making contact. It was the confirmation bias in action. The audience member looked like an electric current had gone through him. Yes, Kate, that's it. That's the one. Katie's here. Now Kate was your... The pause was key. Often the person would unconsciously start mouthing a response, and I was very fast at interpreting that little gesture and mouth movement. I'd quickly finish the word before the person said it. This worked well with names, and also when determining how someone had passed. I'd continued, The hard sound wasn't just in their name, it was also how they died. Kate is trying to tell me that she passed from a cancer. It was usually cancer or cardiac arrest, occasionally a car crash. It was easy for me to spot the slight difference in the way the audience member positioned their mouth and tongue for starting the syllable can for cancer or car for cardiac or car crash. I could say the word before the person vocalized it, which made it seem like I was really talking to a spirit. I also had a technique of occasionally talking over the top of an audience member and sometimes finishing their sentences for them. I have a better microphone compared to the one given to them, so it made it seem like I was the one saying it. The effect was convincing.
The C for how someone had passed was gold. Even if they said heart attack, you could rephrase it as cardiac arrest. If they said stroke, you could say I knew that it had a hard CK sound in it. I'd follow up with a statement that, yes, that's what I was hearing. This usually made the person feel like I was genuinely talking to someone. General phrases which sounded specific worked well too. These Barnum statements were great for convincing someone. Things like, I'm being told you loved your brother, but sometimes you fought, sometimes you didn't get on. That's correct, isn't it? That almost never got anything other than an affirmation. But such a thing was true of any relationship. It didn't matter. The audience member would feel like it was meant for them. Occasionally, I would add something like, did that night. Katie says she wants you to know that she forgives you. Normally, that would produce a really strong emotional response. But that particular 40-ish-year-old had barely reacted. If anything, he'd slightly shaken his head. I had quickly refocused by replaying our interactions in my mind. The man hadn't wanted to make eye contact. Those were often people who had something they didn't want exposed. So on a whim, I went from smiling and being happy to stern. Yes, Katie was your sister. You loved your sister, didn't you? Yes, she knows that you loved her, but she also knows what you did, and she does not forgive you. The 40-year-old went white as a ghost. That was a strange expression, white as a ghost. There were no such thing as ghosts, and yet somehow they were all white. Why couldn't they be turquoise? Why couldn't they be fluorescent yellow? Why should ghosts be white? However, the colour really had drained from this man's face, and he looked frozen in time like a marble statue. I added, Katie wants me to know what you did. The man turned and bolted out of the theatre. It was wonderfully dramatic, and the audience went nuts. The incident was mentioned in the reviews of the show, and that drove strong word of mouth. I was booked again in the same town the next month. These days, it was something I said regularly as part of my act. If it got no response, I would laugh it off as part of my showmanship, as in, don't worry, that's just something I say as a joke. You know, I'm being told you guys had a great relationship. I'd reinforce the positive hit and would be right back on track. I wonder if I'll be able to surprise this guy in the front row with such a statement. Maybe. But now I'm beginning to wonder how this man could still be asleep with the movement of people coming into the theatre. Their noise makes me look around and think I should head backstage. My stage manager has started coming towards us. As usual, we never want anyone to guess she knows me. The stage manager sat next to the sleeping man and spoke something to him. But the man didn't seem to want to respond. Maybe he was in a drunken stupor. That would be annoying. I couldn't use what I'd read from him. The stage manager got up, walked to the side of the stage with a worried expression on her face. A moment later, an alarm tone rang to evacuate the building. I propped myself up on the edge of the stage. I didn't know what else to do. Why would she want people to evacuate? What was going on? I watched people leave the theatre and heard the buzz of conversation. This was not part of the act. Should I be going outside and mingling to hear some stories? I didn't like doing that. Sitting in the audience was not cheating, at least in my mind, because it occurred in the theatre. I considered anything I did within the theatre to be part of the art and fair game. It was practical too. Getting to start the show after gleaning one or two useful hits from sitting in the audience got people to buy into what was happening, and the evening usually flowed well afterwards. Starting poorly always led to a bad show. 
but my audience was leaving. Whatever was going on, I hoped and guessed it wouldn't take long to sort out. So I thought I should be near my seat for when the audience returned. Besides, this guy wasn't going out with everyone else. It seemed right to stay with him. A minute or two later, paramedics came in, wheeling a gurney. They were followed by my stage manager. They came straight to the front row where the man was still sleeping. He was asleep, wasn't he? The paramedics lifted him up and placed him on the stretcher. At last, his head straightened, and I could get a clear look at his face. With a start, I realized his face was similar to mine. Actually, not just similar, but identical. I didn't have a twin, did I? A horrible thought occurred to me. Were my predictions about the man just projections of myself due to our similarity? Had I lost my touch? But he wasn't me. How could he be? If he were, there would be a freckle on his left ear, right where a typical piercing would be. I moved to look. The freckle was there. One of the paramedics placed a hand on the shoulder of my stage manager, who was beginning to cry. I told them they were scaring me, but they didn't react to my voice. That would only have made sense if... If... But that couldn't be right. There was no such thing as ghosts. Was there? Robert has an unusual phobia of jewelry and aversion so strong that he can't even look at it. He's not just a writer. He also works as a STEM specialist, dedicating his time to providing children with severe learning difficulties exposure to the wonders of science and its principles. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Next, we have Colin Leonard. His short story, The Cellmate, was published in the anthology The Vampire Call, Imaginings, and images of the vampire. It wasn't Mikey's first time in prison, but it was going to be his last. After a string of minor misdemeanors and short stretches, he had finally gone too far. This was a sentence he wasn't going to walk away from. Just like the mouthy drunk he had turned on outside the chipper wasn't going to walk away from the beating he gave him, or walk again for that matter, or breathe again. He might have gotten away with manslaughter if he had just used his fists, or if he had stopped himself after smacking the man's head against the pavement. But it was the stab wounds that really swayed the judge. Mikey supposed it was bound to happen eventually, while he carried the knife on him every single day. Somebody was bound to get it in the belly. 
the only surprise was that it hadn't happened sooner. He knew this prison well. He'd done a couple of months in it for joyriding. Spent his 19th birthday here. That was a few years ago now. It hadn't changed much. That time he had shared a cell with an old Dubliner, inside for drug offences, who spent most nights shivering off the nightmare of a heroin addiction. His cellmate this time round seemed equally maladjusted to the place. When Mikey was shown to what would be his sleeping quarters for the foreseeable future, the cellmate was curled up on his bunk, arms over his face, like some small creature hoping to hibernate the daytime away. Mikey kicked the bunk to announce his arrival. Well, let's get the introductions over with. I'm Mikey Ford, what's your name? The other man opened one sickly eye. Victor. What are you in for, Victor? Stealing. His voice was croaky and weak. Mike didn't want to catch a cold or flu on his first day inside. He took a step back from the bunk. Although he knew it wouldn't make a difference. If his cellmate had something, then he'd catch it. Stuck in here, breathing the same stale air together. What did you steal? Victor shivered under his blanket, saying nothing. How long are you inside for? Tried Mikey. Right, he thought. If he didn't want to tell him anything further, then he didn't care to press. He'd find out soon enough. Nothing else to do here but talk about their crimes. Victor didn't talk much more that day. The next morning, he refused to get up. You're only going to cause trouble for yourself, said Mikey. You have to get up. They're not going to stand for that sort of shit. Victor crunched himself further into the corner of his bed. Out in the hallway, someone whistled, someone sang. A peep of sunlight nosed in through a high window and spotlit the airborne dust hanging outside their cell. Suit yourself then, I'm not looking out for you. You can do whatever you like. A prison guard came up to unlock the cell. He won't get up, said Mikey. Nothing to do with me. Yeah, said the guard, I'll deal with it. Mikey went to work in the kitchens and didn't spot Victor again until he was out in the exercise yard. Mikey wandered around the yard with a wary confidence, striding tall without too much of a swagger. He recognised a few heads that he knew from the outside world and he remembered some faces still present from the time of his last sentence. He was chatting to a bulldog of a man arrested for firearms offences and squinting against the midday sun when he noticed Victor crouched in the shadows of the laundry building. The stink of the drains there was overpowering, but while it kept everyone else away from that corner of the yard, it didn't seem to bother Victor. He looked like he wanted to squirm his way down into them. That one is obviously scared shitless being in here, Mikey remarked to the bulldog. That one's a damn freak, the bulldog replied. That opinion was reiterated later that day, when a bunch of them were in the games room. This time it was stated by a wild-eyed Kerry man who charged at Victor with a broken pool cue in his hand. Instinctively, Mikey stuck out a foot and tripped him before the sharp end of the stick could find its victim. The guards pounced and punished. Mikey caught the gratitude in Victor's expression and wondered why it made him feel queasy. 
He felt uncomfortable again later when he saw Victor in the showers. It wasn't uncommon for men to keep their backs to the wall, but Victor stayed so close to the tiles that he barely got wet from the falling spray. Mikey was disgusted by the grey pallor of the man's skin, so he kept his eyes averted, but when they were back in their clothes, he was curious about the way Victor's shirt lay in creases down his back. That and the way he walked made Mikey think that his back was misshapen or lumpy, like there was heavy scar tissue from the shoulder blades down. He must have had a truly awful punishment meted out to him at some stage in his life, unless he was born with a deformity. As the day shed its hours, Mikey spoke to other prisoners. He spoke to guards. He chatted and listened. He watched television. He tried to defend the borders of his mind from the concepts of space and time as they now existed to him. So little space, such a long length of time. Victor kept to himself and nobody seemed to go near him. Mikey was more than glad to keep his distance from him in the communal areas. Victor was going to be enough of a drain on his space and despising your cellmate could make that eternal time stretch even slower. In their cell, before the lights were extinguished, Mikey was lying on his bunk, staring into nothing, until that nothing was filled by Victor, readying himself for bed. His cellmate had left his t-shirt on, but there was the peak of a dark protrusion over the rear neckline. It's a growth, thought Mikey, a disgusting hairy growth. Thanks for what you did earlier. Victor's voice was timid and tooty. The last one that shared this cell didn't do things like that for me. Did he get out? Hmm. Victor hummed his vague answer, and that humming developed into a slow, soothing tune. He appeared less terrified of his surroundings now that the day was over, more fluid in his movement. Shut up and go to sleep, said Mikey. I'm sick of the sight of you. A domino effect of darkening bulbs reached their cell, and Mikey allowed his eyesight to make acquaintance with the dimness. There was no rush to sleep. There was no rush to do anything. He had to let that sensibility sink in. He would be here for whatever forever might become for him. Sporadic yells and other sounds bounced off the bare concrete walls, incoherent except as expressions of despair. Mikey knew some of them would dissolve into whimpers as the night progressed. He could hear his own breathing, but not his cellmates, so he was surprised when a thin figure hovered real close to him. The tar of Victor's pupils had spread and seeped to turn his eyes into two black orbs. His nose and lips were pink and raw. The groat on his back was released from his t-shirt. Wings. They moved like leather curtains over an open window. He hummed his paralysing tune. Mikey couldn't move to stop his sheets being drawn back and his arm being pulled towards the fangs that emerged from Victor's hungry smile. I'll just take a little bit, Victor whispered, just a little bit every night. Colin resides in Ireland, beneath the hills from which the ancient Samhain festivals gave birth to Halloween.
From one on, Robert New and Colin Leonard visit our website at www.relatable-media.com. And that's all for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a story that you want us to catch, submit it on our website at www.relatable-media.com. Thank you for listening. And whether you are at home or on the road, we hope you catch this story. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.